Matt Twyer here, and I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. If you wish to become a bigger part of the world of Conversations with Dwyer, go to themattdwyer.com slash shop and purchase a t-shirt or a phone case with the Conversations with Dwyer logo right on it. It's that little head, round head thingy uh, that was created by Charlene Yee. That'll help support the podcast and spread the word. Also, you could become a Patreon subscriber. You could also find that link at themattdwyer.com. For $5 a month, you get extended interviews, video versions of the interviews, you get bonus episodes, all kinds of extra content, sometimes blogs. And there's different tiers, but the $5 one definitely is, I think, affordable for everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Please support the podcast. And now let's listen to this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, in case you didn't know, and that song that played me in is called Mama's Milk, and that is from the album Simple Syrup by Sonny War, and my guest today is Sonny War, and it's a great one. Uh, I don't, I like, I want to praise it, but I don't want to sound hokey, and I want to praise her and her work, but I don't want to sound hokey, because I don't know, it's hard to, like, I listen to so many interviews and stuff, and I hear people talking. I'm like, it's insincere. <laughs> but I I just, like, is the second I heard her music, which I discovered her music through uh, Particle Kid, and I immediately was enamored with her music, and I just feel like there's something very special about what she's doing and who she is, and I love her playing, and her story that we will hear in a little bit is also just really incredible and... uh I greatly enjoyed talking with her, and it was a lot of fun, and it was informative, and uh, she's just got a great story. Um, in the show notes, you could find all things Sunny War, so please purchase some music by Sunny War, support her, and uh, as well as in the show notes, there's links to uh, my stuff. There's merch. Dwyer has t-shirts now. You can go to themattdwyer.com, and uh, there's a little bit extra conversation on my Patreon with Sunny War. Not like the others where there's often a half hour to 45 minutes, but most, I would say 98% of my interviews have an extra half hour to 45 minutes that live on the Patreon. So you can go and listen to the entire episodes. But this is a really great episode. Uh, I can't, I just, I want to tell you how great it is, but you should probably just listen to it. Um, if you like Sunny War, definitely go and look at the com and the episodes and, and f- look at some of my past guests. If you like her, if you like Particle Kid, there's a ton of guests I've had on that I think you'll really like. Vetiver was, uh, Andy from Vetiver was on recently, Steve, Stephen Gunn, Steve Gunn. So, uh, yeah, check out that and explore. And if you can, tell some friends about the podcast. If you like it, tell some friends. That being said, here is my conversation with Sunny War. How was Shaka Khan? I saw your post about that, and uh, was that crazy? Yeah, that was crazy because I didn't know about. Okay, like Allison had the set list, and at the end, it said like, um, "I'm every woman, and everybody's gonna sing." But I didn't think that Shaka Khan was gonna be there. I just thought she was gonna have all the women sing that song together. 
So I didn't realize till like that day that she was actually there and that she was singing it. It was just like, and I was just really, that was exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and I smelled Shaka Khan's hair. That sounds creepy, but she was, she was in front of me and I smelled her hair and it smelled really good. I didn't like, I didn't like smell it, but I could just smell her. (laughs) How could Shaka Khan not smell good? I mean, that's impossible. She's next. She's almost up there with God, you know? She is God. <laughs> uh, was was that, I don't know, was that just like a totally surreal moment other than smelling Shaka Khan? Yeah, I was, the only thing was like, I was really concerned about my dance moves. And I wish that I would have had time to practice my dance moves. <laughs> what is that? I, I don't know. I, I'm really an awkward dancer, so I don't, I can't speak. What, were people dancing in like unison or something? Or were you just like. Well, like you just, we're on stage with her, you know, and she's like singing I'm Every Woman. You can't just not, you have to move, you know, you have to move. You look, you would look crazy if you were just like not dancing. And yeah. then at one point, everybody just started jumping up and down. And it was just like, it was just like, damn. It was like, there <laughs> <laughs> was just a lot of energy. I, I guess I misunderstood the post because I thought like you just were, I thought Shaka asked, or do you, can you, do you call her Shaka? Or is it just, it seems wrong. Just Shaka Khan is. Shaka Khan. Yeah. You don't first name her. I mean, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I thought she asked you to sing with her. That's why I was like. But still, that's crazy. Alice, because Allison Russell curated the whole that show, and I, I guess that was like the finale set of the first Newport weekend. So it was her. She, she had like I played one solo song earlier, and then there's like Ameth- Amethyst Kaya played one song, and she just had different women do solo songs with her band, and then at the end, like Shaka's like the finale performer and then everybody got to join in with her so basically there was like a couple people that were doing the background vocals like on the mic but everybody else was just on stage just dancing and basically just screaming i'm every woman so i I don't know man that's just fucking crazy to me and i wasn't even there there was like 30 people on stage just just jumping up and down (laughs) (laughs) did you get to talk to shaka khan at all no and, she, and after she she left the stage before the like the band was still playing and she left the stage and she drank a Corona and she smoked a little bit of a cigarette and then she was gone. Like she just disappeared like a that, diva. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking badass. Yeah. Was that the first time you played the Newport Folk Festival? Yeah. That's kind of like a crazy honor in and of itself, isn't it? That's like a legendary. Yeah, I was nervous when I um I played my set the next day after that on and I was just nervous because it's like because I think the people that go to Newport Folk Festival, they're like really into well, I guess they're into folk music, you know. But they <laughs> they like really like they like watch you like really intensely. If it's like quiet music, they just like 
it was too, I was like, I was scared. I kept getting more nervous during the set. Like I didn't get less nervous. Cause they were so intense. Yeah. Cause they're just really watching and shit, you know? And I was feeling weird. But you, I mean, I think it went well. I would find it hard not to believe you're insanely talented, at least in my humble opinion. Thanks. <laughs> was that how, how that's like festivals, like huge. But how yeah. was, the, how did they respond to you? I can't imagine they didn't love you. It seemed good. They laughed at my jokes. Um, that's a really important thing. <laughs> And you they have, clapped, you know, they clap. Do you have like set jokes that you tell when you do your shows, or do you just kind of come up with them in the moment? Well, I I had a new joke um, at Newport because I was playing this song called "She Just Don't Care," and it's kind of like for me, it's about like just discovering that there is no God or whatever. And then afterwards, I was like, "Where my atheist at?" <laughs> <laughs> That was a new joke. So I carried that one on to the next couple shows to try it out. Do you do you <laughs> sort of find, because I know like a couple other musicians who like have little bits that they do and stuff. And I'm always interested, like, because oh, I, I have bits. I like to make fun of my bass player. <laughs> <laughs> is it, do you mix it up or is it kind, do you stick to it every night or do you mix it up? Mix. I mix it up. I improv, I improvise a little bit, but I like to tell people because um, um, one of the music videos for Love Became Pain, Aaron, my bassist, gets stabbed in the music video. So I always like to tell people before we play that song, like, if you want to see this guy get stabbed. <laughs> 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 that's one of my jokes that I like to tell I got a couple jokes about him is that something that <laughs> how does Aaron feel about it he loves it he loves it <laughs> <laughs> I've seen yeah I saw because I saw I, Tom Waits like a thousand years ago and he did the, like the first night it was, I saw him two nights in a row and I was like oh this is great he's joking around second night it was all the exact same thing I was like oh this oh, is just oh, your that's like your thing I know it was a little disappointing because I was like oh you just have this whole like I felt like the first night I was like oh this is all spontaneous and great yeah you shouldn't, I guess you shouldn't have sung two nights in a row. <laughs> I didn't pay. I had a rich friend take me, so I can't afford Tom Waits. <laughs> I, would see him twice, I would see him twice if it was, if I had tickets like that. Yeah. Yeah. That my buddy. Is, that's disappointing. Yeah. But maybe he should have, he should change it a little bit. He could tell the same jokes in a different way. Then it yeah. Was, do you mix up your sets every night? Do you like shuffle around your song orders or I, I, cause I'm always, I, I, that's gotta be strange. Well, it depends. Like for the tour, we mostly just played the same set, but then some of the shows, it was, it was an hour and a half. So then I just do a 30 minute solo first. So if I played like, if I'm just playing solo, I might change it up with that. But it, I think it's just easier to just play the same set. Yeah. Well, because two is like by the end of like a tour or something, then it's just you're fucking killing it. Opposed, you know, like, I mean, I've done 
different kind of performing. But when you first go out, you're like, or at least I was always like a little awkward. And then by the end of it, I was like, I'm fucking tear this shit up. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's like, if, if the order seemed good the first night and it seemed like, cause I think of it as like a playlist. So I wanted, I want the songs to, to be in an order that that would be good as a playlist. So oh, I that's like interesting. If they seem to like it the first time, you know. Yeah, I would imagine you too. You have to. There's more to weigh because I was doing something completely different. But like you have to weigh in mood and energy and all these. Like you're taking everybody yeah. on a ride. And I so think about the tempo changes and the chord, the chord. Like I don't want two songs in the same key right next to each other because it just sounds like the same or stuff like that or like if one song is really emo then you don't want the next song to be emo yeah that'd be a little maybe it gets a little happy now we're <laughs> gonna, now we're gonna be angry you know let's go like a wave do you have to take a second in between songs? I've never, I've t interviewed a million musicians and I've never talked about any of this, but do you have to take a moment to go from one emotion to the next or do you just, are you able to jump right into it? Uh, well, I, I don't feel anything, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, we could just flip it. <laughs> Was that too, was that like the first you've been out since like, uh, the whole fucking COVID thing? Kind of. That Well, that was the first tour. We had, like, only a couple shows, real shows during COVID. So, and then we played in Florida a little earlier this year. But, yeah, that was, that was hard because I guess I forgot how annoying it is. <laughs> To like sit in a car so long all the time and then we just have the same carrying the same shit into a place just to go put it back in the car take it back out to, you know it's annoying yeah so I, now i remember so because i just start wanting to go home are you more of a homebody mm. I don't, I guess, because I like to travel, but it's like, tour is not the same, because it's like, even if you go somewhere that's cool, you don't get to do anything there. It's like, by the time we get there, it's soundtrack. So it's like, oh, I went here, I went there, but I didn't get to go hang out, you know? I only got, I only get to hang out at the venue, then we have to drive again. So it's like, I feel like it's traveling, but you don't actually get to do anything fun. So it's like not as I would like to just travel just to go somewhere, you know. Yeah. Play, but to actually have to enjoy the place, you know. Did you? Because I read that you used to hop hop trains. Did you get yeah. to? Which is something I've always been fascinated by. Like I've read a bunch of books about it, or a couple books. I don't want to exaggerate. <laughs> I read two books. <laughs> but like. I don't know, like, how, what, how did you start doing that? Because I, I knew one other person who's done it, and it's like, I didn't get to talk to her about it in two. Well, okay, like, when you're, like, a street kid, it's like, 
the gutter punks that hop trains, they're more respected. And if you want to be more respected than that, you have to get a tattoo on your face. So to me, <laughs> so, so the first time I hopped the trail, I was 16. And holy shit, that's insane. I went with my um, friend. I had a friend, Adam, and he was 16. We were both 16. And we, and we went from, we hopped out of Tucson, which it was like, you can ride the, um, okay, the crates, the big blue crates, if the ones that have a 48 on them, they have a little bucket on the side. So we could, we got into that. So that's, some people say blue 48s cause it's like, it could be a box car or it could be a crate. Like, so I was riding the crate one and then that time we, we went from Tucson to El Paso and while we were going, it was raining and hailing, but you can't get off until it slows down. So it didn't, it didn't stop until it went into the El Paso yard and it was full of water and we were like freezing, like, and we had to jump off. And then like, I almost fell under the train. I almost oh. got right because I couldn't, cause we were standing in water the whole time and my legs were so cold that I could barely jump. And like, I almost got my leg hit. Jesus. The and then we want, but we didn't want to go to El Paso. We wanted to go all the way to Austin. So then we tried to get, cause they stopped in the yard. I don't know for fuel. I don't know what, what they do. So then we tried to get back on and then the cops took us off. And then they were like, we, but we were like 16. So we were like, oh, we're just trying to get to my <laughs> uncle. We're trying to get to my uncle's house, sir. We're just kids. <laughs> the cop, but we tell them that we're 18 so that we don't get in trouble for being minors. And then they gave us a warning. But then he was like, if you do it again, it's a felony and all this. So we were like, we were like paranoid to get back on. So we ended up staying in El Paso, just hanging out at a fucking soup kitchen for like a week. And we got in a fight with these people. Like there's these hobos underneath the bridge and we slept there the first night and they like came up to us with a knife and they were like, this is our fucking bridge. We were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't sleep there. We were like, okay, this is your bridge. We, we won't sleep at your bridge. It was it was weird there. And then what we were we were sitting in the train yard drinking and we saw this guy running and then we saw these cops coming after him and they're like, Did you see anyone run through here? And we're like, No, sir. <laughs> What's weird to me is that that would be a felony. Like out of all the I think it's cause it's cause people do steal stuff off of free trains. Uh -oh. So they have to do something. I don't know. But it's like, but I can't imagine how somebody could steal something off of it. Yeah, because it's like big box shit. It's, it's not like it. There's like you know VCRs loosely hanging. VCRs. Yeah, what VCRs. what year am I in? But I think it's also <laughs> because people do like, especially right there, like people come in illegally and they get on a freight train. Like people, because they were having border patrol people there. Right. Cause it's right on the border. So I think they're just trying to criminalize people trying to get refuge or whatever. Yeah. How did you know which train to jump on? Like, is there a whole system to this stuff? Well, you can get a, a crew change, which is 
basically like they sell them on the internet where you got to get it from somebody who works for the train company and that's the crew chain tells you what time they're supposed to stop and where they're supposed to stop but it's like illegal to sell it but people get them some from wow from people because there's a whole there's a whole thing there's this website called squattheplanet.com and like train hoppers like they email each other it's kind of like facebook for squatting <laughs> and they and they like people will be like hey i want to buy a crew change because you have to get the latest one because they update it they change it but i but if you just hang out in a train yard there's gonna be somebody that'll help you hop a train there's gonna be some fucking group of like drunk gutter punks that'll be like oh where are you trying they'll tell they'll help you is it a pretty like helpful like community? Like, that- Tucson, Tucson has so many train hoppers usually because they go there for the gym show. Because the gym show, it's like where hippies they sell rocks and shit, but they always hire street kids. So a lot of it's like seasonal work. So a lot of people they go into Tucson for the gym show and they work there and they make money and then they leave out of Tucson. So you can meet. Cause me and Adam, my friend, like we were just 16, but we, we just talked to other older people that hop trains and they just helped us. Like, cause we, we were waiting there and they told us what to ride. That's wild. Yeah. They was just drink. They were drinking forties and shit. They're like, Oh, you trying to get to Austin. Okay. You're going to get on a blue 48. But they didn't tell us that the cops were going to be so intense in El Paso because they were like, I felt like the cops were going to kill us. They were just so because it's like they're like Border Patrol cops. And they're just really fucked up. Like, they're really scary. So we automatically were like, "Okay, we're going to act like little kids. (laughs) Fucking smart. They're like, sir, I'm so sorry, sir. (laughs) We're just kids. We're trying to get to my uncle's house. Like, you just got to play it when you're a teenager. (laughs) Was that the only time you rode a train? Or was there other times? Oh, another time from Portland. But that time... I really did. I went, I went just up to like, I think I went up to Washington and then I just walked. Sometimes you got to walk for miles and miles, but in Portland, it's easy, but in Portland, it was a boxcar and you put, you have to put two railroad spikes in the door or it could close and you could die. Jesus fucking Christ. If it closes, you can't open it. So you got to put two railroad spikes in the door because that happens to people where they get they get locked in a boxcar and nobody can hear them and they die in there. So because the, they'll just be in there for like days or, or it gets too I cold? I guess. I guess. Because some of those trains don't even have nothing in them. I don't even know why they're even running. So I don't know. You don't you never know. And you know did, where to take it. And you never were like. I'm going to die. <laughs> it's like, I'm well, not as brave as you. I'll say that right now. I'm not. Ah. It was like, I didn't really think about stuff. That was the same reason that I did drugs. I didn't think about how it was going to affect me. Like, I just never thought about, I wasn't very smart, you know? Yeah. I, was still, I would do it again though. Cause I want to, I want to have trains in Canada because they have, it's like, I've seen people's photos from Canada and it's like, it's very scenic and it's like, 
there's certain real it's like it goes through stuff you can't drive to it's like just like beautiful scenery and shit yeah that would be there's no roads there there's only the train yeah what what are you doing the whole time you know you just sit uh, other than the time when you were being pelted with hail are you just like hanging out and staring out at the scene scenery yeah but you gotta make sure that you have to hide when if people can see you you gotta hide but if, but when it's just in the wilderness, then you can look around. Because you don't want somebody to see you. Because you don't want to be caught on there. Yeah, I w- I'm going to take a while guess some of those cops beat the fuck out of people just for kicks. They kill people. They kill, especially, I heard about, okay, in New York, they kill people in the train yard. They don't, they don't like train hoppers. They don't like homeless people. So then it's like if you're doing something illegal on top of just being homeless, they just kill you. They don't they're mean because I heard they shot somebody in a train yard because they were running because I guess they didn't want to get arrested. So they just ran and they shot him. There's all kinds of stories like that. Yeah, because they're already homeless and they know that nobody cares about them. The same thing they do to prostitutes. They kill prostitutes all the time. God, like we fuck. kill people all the time. No, I mean, not. And you were homeless too for a while, right? I was technically homeless, but I didn't think of it like that. I just thought of it as like, I want to hop trains and hitchhike and see the country. And I was sleeping outside, but it was like, I was also, t- I was too young to legally have an apartment anyway. And I wasn't going to go back to my mom. It wasn't, and I, and my mom, after a while, she was okay with it. Cause I would email her. Like she had me, she reported me as a missing person and saying I was a runaway. And she always wanted the police looking for me. And eventually I started emailing her like, Hey, I'm okay. Don't worry about me. I'm okay. And then, um, I remember I came back one time I was 17 and I went to visit my mom and then she was like, well, you look healthy. <laughs> and she's like she stopped worrying i was in the best shape of my life because i was like carrying my backpack and hitchhiking and walking miles and miles and miles like and she told my uncle she was like well she looks healthy and she doesn't seem like she's strung out or anything and then like i when I, that's when she was kind of like she stopped saying i was a missing person and shit because i was about to be 18 anyway so at right. that point it's like okay i'll just that's who she is like whatever were you strung out for a while? Yeah. I, right around when I was 18 and 19, that's when I got, that's when I started losing my mind and doing, I was just doing heroin and meth. And then I ended up getting arrested for having, basically having a mental breakdown and I and I destroyed some property. Then I went to jail for a year, but I'm glad I did actually. I'm glad I went to jail for a year <laughs> because I think there's no way I was going to stop. I was going to probably die. I don't know. So oh, shit. After that, I, I went back to LA and I started trying to get my shit together, but then I relapsed again and I got arrested again for shoplifting. And then my mom helped me get into a sober living. So then I got clean. So now I, well, now I still drink, but I've been sober from all narcotics for like 11 years. Holy shit. Congratulations. See. 
<laughs> I've, I had to quit drinking, so I, I relate. Or as I like to say, I was so good at it, I had to quit. Yeah. And I... I, I should, I'm thinking about... Yeah. That's a hard one, though. Yeah, I just... <laughs> I had kids, and I was just kind of like, all right, I, I need to probably... Maybe I need to be a dad. I don't know. Right? <laughs> I should probably be there for them. And I, you know, in my younger days, I was into drugs. I wish I that my mom would have got sober when I was a kid. She didn't get sober till I was like way older, but now she's sober. But the whole time she was drunk while I was a kid. I was going to ask, is that why you, part of the reason you split? No, I just didn't. I just felt bad. Like, well, I was starting to drink like when I was in ninth grade and I was starting to like smoke weed and and one time I accidentally smoked PCP. And it was like one time I came home and I was like going out. I was going to punk shows. I was going out. I was partying like already. I was like 14. And then I just felt bad for my mom. Like one time I came home at four in the morning and I was drunk and she was like, she like grabbed my face and she was like, where have you been? And she was like, you smell like whiskey. And like, she was all mad and she punched me. She was pissed. And it was just stuff like that where it was like, I know I shouldn't be going out drinking or whatever, but I just felt like an adult. It's just, it's just weird to be a teenager and have somebody tell you that you have to be home by a certain time. Like I just couldn't handle it. Yeah. And it was like, I was failing all my classes and she was like, why don't you do your homework? <laughs> it was just stuff like, I just felt like I was just done with that type of stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to move out. <laughs> so I just became, I was, just didn't want to live there anymore. It was yeah. nothing bad. I just didn't, I just was tired of pretending that I was a kid when I already felt like I was an adult. I just I relate. Yeah. My mom, thankfully, she just kind of, I mean, my dad died when I was 13. So she kind of checked out because I was the youngest of five and there was already, it was already fucking madness. So my mom just had enough to, she had like a shit ton to deal with. So I, I had no supervision and I was kind of grateful for that. Cause I just would go to Chicago and hang out around theaters and, you know, I got to be, do what you did. Cause she was, wasn't paying attention, <laughs> but you know, and I was doing drugs and all that shit too. Was what was this mostly in LA? This these sort of things, the teenager stuff. I get, or I really mostly, I would leave, or when I started squatting, I will. I love San Francisco. Fuck yeah, that was my favorite place to hang out. And I then I would go. I would go to Rainbow Gatherings in Oregon. To and that, it's weird because. They had this big rainbow gathering on a mountain in Oregon, and I lived there for like a couple months. And like I was just, I was just eating acid and playing guitar. <laughs> it was awesome. Like, I was just, I had the time. I hate, I hate hippies, but like I love their drugs, you know. Well, you, so at I, least you find common ground somewhere. Yeah, but they, they have these annoying catchphrases. They call you they call you sister squirrel and they call the guys brother bear. And they always say loving you. This is, you know what a rainbow gathering is? I vaguely. It was started by the grateful dead. People. Okay. 
So basically, it's the continuation of the people that used to follow the dead. So it's like there's a lot of old hippies that go there and then there's like younger people that just want to do drugs and then it's just like people just fucking walking around naked and shit <laughs> they they basically they do it in like some kind of forest they, they're all over the world it happens all over the world and the rule is like you can't use money you can only trade so like they it's good for it's good for homeless kids because basically i just had little jobs like i would have to go and get water for the camp and then I would just get to eat for free every day. And like, I just got to meet a lot of different street kids and there's like a lot of musicians there. So we would just be playing all the time. Like it was like, there would be like a whole fucking jug band there. And it was, all we did was just play music all the time. So it was, it was cool, except for the hippies. I didn't like the hippies. <laughs> I love the musicians that I met. You're really cool. So if I see you on the street and I call you Sister Squirrel, am I getting fucking punched? <laughs> I was to say, loving you, Brother Bear. That's, what they, that's how they talk. But you just go along with it for the acid. Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so Speaking of, like the music, it's, I don't, it's in a weird way. Was that like sort of where you start? When did you, you started playing it when you were seven? Yeah. That's fucking amazing. But like, was that also like sort of informative to your playing and your uh, uh, hanging out with these at uh, these rainbow things, or because you have such a yeah, unique style? I was just because street because it's like a lot of um because there's a lot of gutter punks that they play acoustic instruments because they're busking and shit. But it's like it kind of there's like there's like different little subcultures of like train hoppers that they act really old timey. And they wear fucking overalls and shit. And they like, they play all these old blues standards. And then there's like the crust punks that like weirdly morph. There's like a cross section of blues and punk that kind of really lives in that deadhead scene and the, just like the squatter scene. So you end up, I ended up learning like a lot of standards and shit from people at gatherings. Cause it's like, there's stuff that they play. They play Grateful Dead songs, but then they also play old blues songs. And then there's just stuff that you learn that's just good for busking. Like, sometimes you just got to learn some standards if you want to be a good busker. And like they, play, they play bluegrass, too. A lot of those street kids, they play bluegrass for real. Like, they can really play. And were you, like, picking up those various styles as you went along? Like, was that sort of, like, influencing you? or? Well, I was already into, like, when I was 13, I was obsessed with Chet Atkins. And I really liked fingerstyle guitar. As I got into Mississippi John Hurt and Elizabeth Cotton. And I was trying already trying to play like that. By the time I was, like, 13, I was just really getting into blues a lot. And I had a friend in high school and he lived like he lived by my school and I would go to his house and because he had all these old records and shit. And we would just listen to records like a lot of blues. But I, I, I was always into blues music because my grandma, she took me to see B.B. King when I was like eight or nine or something. I saw B.B. King and then. I also saw Bo Diddley with my mom Fuck. when I was like 10. And she was, 
So I always listen to blues music growing up. Did you notice quickly that you had like a knack for playing guitar? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I knew I noticed that I liked it a lot, but I know I don't think I'm I don't think I'm very good at guitar yet. Really? I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah. Every every interview and thing I've read about you, people always mentioned your guitar playing, and I was to the level I was like, "Is she sick of talking about her guitar playing?" <laughs> I, I like. I think I have a weird style, like I have a unique style, but I'm not. I know people who really know how to play, so I, I I'm still trying to learn more about guitar. Because my friend, I have friends that shred for real. <laughs> do you uh i see that, that's just funny to me because i'm like i listen to you and i'm like fuck she can play maybe i don't know anything but like i listen to you play and i'm like mesmerized by your i'm mesmerized by all of it i absolutely love what you do thanks I know you were worried about that going into this interview. You were like, does he absolutely? I'm not that good at guitar because if I was, I wouldn't use a capo. I use a capo all the time. People that really play, they don't use capos. Doesn't Neil Young use a capo now and again? Okay. <laughs> I don't know fucking shit. So I'm just like, I'm not like a guy who could talk tech the technicalities of music. I'm just somebody who really likes it. And I'm fortunate enough to get to talk to musicians a bunch of times a week that's cool <laughs> you interviewed shannon lay yeah i love her you guys are buddies yeah i met her we played a show one time we played a couple shows and i met her in san not san bernardino it was some show and i think it was close it was santa Ana or something and yeah, I like her music. I have her. I have her records. I have her records. Well, not the actual vinyl. I have it digitally. <laughs> it works. Yeah, she's. Uh, we became slight buddies after we talked, which seems to happen. But I, I, she's such. She's just great all around. Music to as a human. Yeah, and she likes The Simpsons a lot. Do you like The Simpsons a lot? <laughs> <laughs> She has the tattoos of the Simpsons. Oh, she does? Yep. Do you have Simpson tattoos? Not yet. That's coming, huh? <laughs> yep. No. Nah, nah. Uh, yeah, and you also worked with uh, Micah Nelson, who I just also talked to, like, last week. Yeah, we did a, a split album together, and he he plays on a lot of stuff. He played drums and harmonica on on the one on with the sun no on shell of a girl but he plays drums on with the sun record too um so when you were like bopping around you had a guitar with you the whole time like did you that's how i made money and i would go busking in the train stations and uh isn't that like something somebody would try to steal in those situations or is it or is it like sort of a code of ethics on the street sometimes oh. they did 
they will steal your guitar. I had then I would get another one though. People people knew me as a guitar player. Like other street kids would help me get a guitar, cause I could make a lot of money playing guitar. So I was kind of like, people would help me to get my guitar, cause I would use the money to get everyone drunk and high. <laughs> so all the kids were supportive of me playing. And I in San Francisco, I would get up, I would get up like I was going to work, and I would go to the train, the BART station. That's like that's downtown by the mall. So there's a lot of people that go in there and I would play for like three hours and I would come back to, I would come back with like $150 or something. I was going to ask how much a good busker could make. 150 bucks a day? I can make 300 in Venice Beach in the summertime. Holy fuck, in a day? Hell yeah. One time I made $500 in one day. I fucked up in my life. (laughs) In the summer in Venice Beach, it used to be packed with people. And then it's, I had, at one point I had an amplifier and a microphone and I would sit in front of the fig tree cafe and I would play for hours. I would make a lot of money because I I learned how to play uh, Tracy Chapman songs and I would play Beatles songs and Johnny Cash. Like, if you do stuff that people recognize, they love that. Even the corniest shit. The corniest shit. Um, That song, When the Night Has Come, I will do all of it. The most tackiest shit. And people be like, oh, I love that song. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever go do it? Because, I mean, if I could make 500 bucks in a day, I would be down there. I'd do that. I, I could do that twice a week and pay my rent and still fuck around. I haven't been, I haven't bust in like three years. I I would be down, but the thing is, it's like, it's very emotionally draining. Like it's, it can fuck your head up really bad. Cause there's always, you're always going to have some bad interactions that like, like just people, people telling you that you sound like shit after you've been playing for like hours, that can really, it, it gets to you. It really gets to you. You can. I've left the beach crying before. There's been kids, like teenagers, just making fun of me in general, just for playing acoustic guitar in general. Just stuff like, just stuff where it just, it's like, why am I doing this? Like some, like there's good interactions, but there's a, a lot of really mean comments and stuff, and stuff that will make you want. You'll be like, should I even play at all? Like it fucks your head up really bad. God damn! What the fuck's wrong with people? Like why? Why? People are mean. They. It's like if you if I saw if I heard a musician a busker and I didn't like it I just wouldn't say anything, but they'll go out of their way. One time I was playing in front of the cafe and a lady was like, "Can I pay you to just to not play until I finish my lunch?" And I was like, "Sure," but it's like that shit made me cry really. It was like, damn, I sound that bad. Like, whoa. Like, it just it hurts. It's just assholes who's never fucking put themselves out there. You know? It's like, what have you yeah. tried to do, motherfucker? Nothing. <laughs> Not to be a dick, but it's like, you've obviously never put yourself on the line to do shit if you're going to be this cruel. Or you yeah. did and you, you sucked. Maybe that was it. <laughs> I think I got better, though. Not you. I wasn't saying you sucked. I hope that didn't come oh, off that way. Oh, oh no. I wouldn't. That would. I'm not that guy. I mean, like, I I did give 
um, better from people's criticism, though. Like, people would be like, when I, because when I was younger, I played really, really fast. And they would be like, you need to just slow down. Like, sometimes people would really be like, you would sound better if you just slowed down and just shit like that. And then someone was like, you need to practice with a metronome. Someone told me that. <laughs> and I did, though. I got that. It got, I would listen to people sometimes. <laughs> that's wild. I mean, in a bizarre way, that's like an incredible education. Like, I mean, a lot of Just trying to learn what do people actually want me to sound like. Cause it's like when you're a busker, you do want, you want to sound how they want you to sound. Cause you just want them to give you money. So it's like, okay, I guess <laughs> that if that means that you'll tip me, fuck it. So it's kind of like learning. Like I learned how to play grateful dead songs because someone was like, I'll give you $20 if you play this song. And I didn't know it. So I learned it just in case it happened again. Same thing with the Tracy Chapman song. Everybody's like, oh, Tracy Chapman, because people are so racist that any black, <laughs> any black girl with a guitar is Tracy Chapman. Yeah. So I, I was like, fuck it. And I started playing that shit. People would give me $20. They'd be like, you know Fast Car? And I'll be like, I do. I learned it. Because you guys are so racist that I learned how to play Fast Car. Did you ever say that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it must be hard to not say something. I just, you got is you get numb after a while because people are so mean. Busking makes you fucking crazy. Like anyone can say anything to me at this point because I've been I was a busker for like 10 years. So even I have people steal everything out of my guitar case and run like after playing for all day and barely making anything. I have people rob me of all my money and then they run away. And then it's like, what am I going to do? Get up and chase them? You know, so now it's like you can literally spit on me and I won't even feel it. God damn. <laughs> Do you ever think about that? Like when you're on stage at, say, like Newport and you're like, I used to play at Venice Beach and now I'm at Newport. No, I was think I was thinking like I'm an imposter. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking I don't belong here. I just I think that's wild because some of the most talented people I know all like feel that way. Like I once got a writing job and I felt that way. And my friend was like, just so you know, everybody in the room thinks the same exact thing about themselves. Like I was just like, everybody just does anyone feel comfortable? <laughs> I think you got to be cocky to, to think like, I guess that's what confidence is. I don't know. <laughs> you, yeah. But I also feel like that's, Maybe I'm crazy, but that's what where honesty in music comes. Like a cocky, nobody likes a cocky person. Yeah, Biff from unless they're an athlete. Yeah, I like I, the athletes. I like it when like someone's like, like a boxer is just like I'm gonna fuck them up. Like I want that. Like that's you gotta, true. You gotta have that attitude. Because I love Muhammad Ali. Like I worshipped Muhammad Ali as a kid. I thought he was the yeah, greatest. He was cocky, but he but he was he, also funny because he knew. Yeah, he knew he was the shit. So it's like, it is what it is. <laughs> Maybe the next time you play live, you should just be like, "Hey, I'm fucking great. Suck it." <laughs> no, I get I get really bad anxiety about playing. Do you? Yeah, sometimes I get really nervous. Does it change when you get out there, or does it stay with you the whole time? 
Well, at Newport, it just stayed the whole time because I just felt like it just felt like a lot of pressure. And then I didn't I just don't know how to talk to people. And so, like, for those um, Allison Russell's curated set, they had a rehearsal for it earlier in the day. So then me and Aaron went to the rehearsal because I guess she wanted because she had a house band. So we had to rehearse with the band. And then it was like Allison Russell was there and then just a bunch of musicians that I like and I followed them and stuff, but I never met them. And then I don't know how to talk to people. So I was just acting all weird, you know, and I and they're like, hi, nice to meet you. And I was like nervous. I just don't feel comfortable around people. So I just, then I was thinking, I wish I wasn't weird. I wish I could just be like how people act, act like a normal person. You seem pretty normal to me. Well, I wasn't. I mean, I know what you mean. That day. When she said that Shaka Khan was coming, I was like, so what do you mean? <laughs> well that's a surreal moment but i mean i understand so she's coming here <laughs> and i did i was scared i mean i can relate i relate to because i've been there and i know exactly how you feel and it's like especially and you, i've just been in situations where i'm like what the fuck am i doing here i have like I, yeah and then it like spirals all right it spiraled with me where it just got worse and i just all i wanted to do was fucking leave like just not say anything and just go. <laughs> That's what I, I feel like that in a lot of situations. I want to get those smoke bombs like in the old movies where they just throw a thing in a puff of smoke and then I run out the back. Yep. I get uncomfortable at grocery stores. Yeah. I get anxiety, I get anxiety at a grocery store. <laughs> Do you? Because it'll be like I want something and then there's someone standing in front of it and I, I just don't know the etiquette. Like I'm just like... Okay, and then it's like people pushing carts makes me nervous. When they're, if I'm going down an aisle and someone else's cart is coming, and then there's someone else, and I get so uncomfortable. I, I uh, you know, like, oh, I wish I didn't need food. I don't know. The one thing I try to remind myself is, and I don't know if this helps, it doesn't always help me, it's just like everybody's fucking scared. Everybody's full of shit. Like, everybody's faking it. And even like, and usually the louder, like a former president of ours, the fucking bigger full of shit they are. Though I hate him. But, you know, it's just like everyone, I think everyone's just trying to compensate or find their way through it. I think. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Yeah, that's why it's like, I'm not suicidal, but I just, I just think like death would be the ultimate relief, you know? Like, I'm not going to, like, make it happen, but I'm like, I look forward to dying. (laughs) (laughs) Did Was there, I've read that there was a specific individual at Venice Beach that you picked up some guitar stuff from. Is that true? Well, I would say there's a lot. The first person I I ever bust with, um, I was still in high school. I was still living with my mom. And there, but I would go to Venice after school because, like, my school it wasn't it was in Culver City. It wasn't that far from the beach, so I would stay at the beach until my curfew. 
and there was a guy in Gregory Cruz, and he has a his band is called the Street the Venice Street Legends, and they play on the boardwalk and they play in Santa Monica, and he plays like Johnny Cash and Hank Williams and like bluegrass and stuff. So I would go and I that was like when I was in ninth grade, I was like really into Johnny Cash. So I would go listen to that guy all the time. I thought he was really cool. And then I started jamming with him. I had my acoustic guitar, I had a Stella. And then he would like, he would split the tips with me when we played. That's when I first got the idea. I was like, oh, I can make money here. Because I was also a punk, you know, I, I needed to buy Doc Martens. And that's expensive. I needed oh, yeah. to make $200 to buy some new boots. So I started playing there. I even got I even got a new guitar from busking because I would busk. I wanted to get in a guitar, so I would just go there every day after school. And he taught me how to play some Johnny Cash songs and like Hank Williams songs. And then there was another guy. His name was Biff, and he would play on the end of the boardwalk. He was old. He was like probably eighty years old. I don't even know if he's still alive, but he plays like old blues shit. And then he would do like, he would do like these bluesy versions of Jimi Hendrix songs, but it sounded like, it was really cool. He, he was like a finger style blues guitarist. I didn't really, I didn't play with him, but I would watch him a lot. Like I really liked listening to him. There's a lot, there's a lot of musicians on the boardwalk. There was a guy, he was a skate, he would skateboard and play banjo. And like he would stop when I was busking in front of the fig tree and we would jam. Like he he was like a real banjo player. Like he would play super fast and just crazy. So I I would play with that guy. There was another guy, he played mandolin and we we would also jam sometimes. So there's a lot of musicians out there. I haven't been to Venice Beach in forever. So it's like, dude, that was, he would like always us on roller skates. I think he had like Harry some Perry? Kind of, the headdress guy? Harry, yeah. Because he's in the movie, or they make fun of him in the movie, Fletch. I don't know if that's like he's from the of, He's in a lot of TV and movies, actually. He's been on a lot of different, I've seen him on so many, he's on, he's just on some random shows. Like he's always on something. He's got to be like a thousand years old now. I guess. Oh, I dressed up as him as for Halloween. <laughs> and played. Yeah, because I had a, uh, I had a electric guitar that was battery powered, and I was on the boardwalk playing ACDC on it, dressed as Harry Perry, and I <laughs> I saw him. I, no, I didn't. I showed him the picture. I said I dressed as you. How do you, you take it? it on, you can see it on my Instagram. <laughs> Some of those dudes got to, I mean, if you're, some of those guys, if they're making like 500 bucks a month, that's like pretty fucking great. Or 500 bucks oh, a day. Oh, like, Harry, Harry, Harry Perry. He's got like a big house or something. A millionaire. What? A millionaire. God damn. Just from real life. From just like fucking around on the board. Drives a, drives a Cadillac. Man, I've made a lot of bad decisions. I think, the, I think it's the film stuff. Right. A couple movies. I don't really know what his deal is, but <laughs> he's rich. He's like, he, he is like, his hips are all fucked up because you know, he's a marathon runner. He like runs 
millions of marathons. Like he's a hardcore athlete. You could see him on the boardwalk jogging early in the morning every day, every single day. And my mom told me he's he's in every marathon of the city of LA. <laughs> That's wild. Because <laughs> he used to go to my mom. My mom used to work at uh, the fig tree. No, not the fig tree. At the Rose Cafe. And he would eat breakfast there every day. And my mom was a waitress there. And so she kind of got to know him a little bit. But he's like a very secretive dude. Like, he has like a bunch of kids, I heard. And he's like rich. <laughs> Was he from boardwalk uh, groupies? He's just like bedding down all the boardwalk dude, groupies? I don't know. I don't know. I wonder he how many flirts. kids he has. He flirts, though. He will flirt with you. He's got to be like a thousand years old, though, because he was. I went there in the. Guess what? Okay, this is the creepiest thing. I have a theory that he's actually a ghost because my (laughs) my mom, um, in the seventies, my I guess my grandparents took all the kids on a on a vacation to California because she's from Detroit, and there's a picture of my mom as a child standing with Harry Perry, and he looks exactly the same, and that was in the seventies. He looks exactly the same. Yeah, that's like 40 fucking my mom years ago. Was like, my mom was like a seven-year-old or something. And he was, I'm like, so it's, I think he's a ghost. How come nobody's done a documentary about this dude? Something's fishy. I'm about to do it. I'm about to make one about him. Because then uh, there's also, there's part of me that's like, maybe he died. And, or maybe, you know what? I'm going uh, I'm to go take him out and then I'm going to take his job. I'm going to be that motherfucker. I want to be the next <laughs> We could trade off because you got tours and stuff. We'll split the dough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Hell yeah. That guy makes bank. He really does. He sells t-shirts. He sells like a million t-shirts a day. Because it's like he's just a legend. So it's like everybody who goes to to all the tourists, they buy the t-shirt because it's Harry Perry. It's cool. It's like yeah, I mean I've all his CDs and shit. Yeah, I've known about him since the 80s. That's along that's like my mom saw him in the 70s and he looks the same i like this ghost theory yep uh i want and before i let you go i want to talk about the uh food not bombs i hope i said that right i had it written down but i write things down wrong all the time because my brain doesn't work well it's okay i got a fucked up brain (laughs) life 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 but how did uh, how did because I th- are you vegan? No, I I was vegan when I was younger, but I'm not vegan. I just because that I know that I don't food, believe in that. You what? I don't believe in being vegan. But food f- food not bombs is vegan, right? Yeah, cause the founder of food not bombs he wants all the food not bombs have to be vegan. I I think he's a vegan, so to do it right, you have to do it vegan. Right, and do they is that I just a, that? I guess it was it. What what made you get, start doing that in L.A.? And I mean, I think that's cool. I think it's great. That's why I wanted to make sure it gets plugged. Well, when I like when I was still squatting in in Berkeley, I was like drinking a lot, and I was basically dying in people's park. I was basically just sleeping in the park every day, just drinking every day. So the only time I ate was at when Food Not Bombs came. So basically, Food Not Bombs kept me alive because I really didn't eat at all. 
unless they came. So I was just, I was just, cause I was living in downtown LA and just seeing all the camps, like it's just more and more and more tents. And I was just thinking like, it just is weird to just like not acknowledge people's situation. Yeah. So I, worked. I was thinking about how Food Not Bombs like kept me alive and shit. And I just felt like I need to like do something. I don't think it's like, I don't think it's like, oh, that's saving the world. It's just something, it's like, it's about community also just being like, I don't know, like people need, they need to feel compassion and shit. It's because when you're homeless, sometimes you feel like everyone just thinks you're a piece of shit. So it's like, it's also just about like showing up every week and just seeing the same people and like, just us like having conversations with them and shit. And it's like, we feel more like we, we just know each other, you know? Yeah. It's, and it's becoming something that the city is ignoring more and more. It's becoming, yeah. it's, it's like, I think something happened today or yesterday where they just made it basically. The eviction thing that they did. Now there's going to be millions of more homeless people because they made it legal or whatever to evict people, even though it's just too much. And then it's also a lot of, a lot of people, it's like, people don't realize like there's a lot of homeless people that work jobs. Like there's homeless people that go to college. There's like, because it's just so expensive to live anywhere. There's yeah. people, you know, the little rental cars that are, you can rent it on the street with the app. There's people that sleep in those because they can't afford a hotel and they can't afford rent. And they just get those cars for the night and they sleep in them. But they're like fucking going to work in the morning and shit. Like it's just like the cost of living is is just really fucked up. It's insane. I mean, uh, there was a couple of years ago where I couldn't fucking get a job, and like thankfully we got by somehow. I don't fucking know. But there was a period where I was like, we have to either move home. Be like it was cl- fucking close. <laughs> it's like, and it's not the first time I've been there. And yeah. I know f- from my kid goes to school and you know they have the free lunch program and stuff and when covid hit they were like we have to keep this going because there's a number of kids in her school that are unhoused and that's how they fucking eat and it's like think think there's a lot of kids that show there's kids that show up to our food not bombs that it's like they i don't know there's like people they're homeless with their kids there's whole families living in tents and shit it's just, do you, do you have any hope that this is going to get better? Because I don't have any, I personally don't have any hope in our fucking government to do anything about it. I don't it. have any hope because there's already been billions of dollars that are supposed, that's supposed to go towards housing. And I don't know what they're doing with it. I don't really, it's like, doesn't matter because we voted, LA voted. It just doesn't even matter. It's like, I don't know what's going on, but I don't, it's about, it's greed, I guess. Yeah, I, I think even in Venice, they were going to build a a big shelter. And then the people that live there, they wanted it. They were like, no, we don't want this in our neighborhood. Yeah. So it's, it's like, then what? how are you going to fix it then? How can we fix it? They had that same thing in Arcadia. They were going to build small homes. And then because every motherfucker is worried about their property tax. And that's, you know, and it's like, as soon as it comes to their town, they don't, then they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> it's like. 
It's like, fuck off. Like, nothing's going to get better unless somebody takes it hit. And nobody I seems to be. article in The Guardian of, about Finland, and they just give people houses. They just, not houses. They have apartment built. They build apartment buildings, and they basically got rid of homelessness. Like, they just give people housing. And they, and they have a whole system where it's like, like, it's diff- they mix all the neighborhoods with different, like, classes, I guess. Like, you, but, so there's people that are poor living around people that are rich and living around people that are middle class or whatever. But they just, they just built these fucking apartments. They have a bunch of apartments that are specifically just for people who need a place. And then they say, like, and most of the people live there for, like, two years. They get their shit together and then they move. And they get their own place. But it's like, it's just like a real, it's like, and then they also have therapy and they help people with, um, get sober if they need to and just help them like rehabilitate them. And that's, that's the main problem. Like I couldn't get a job for a long time because I had my criminal background. I couldn't even work at a fucking 99 cent store. Because they didn't, so I just actually got my background expunged or whatever. So now I could get a job if I need to. But that's the thing. It's like that if somebody is a felon and it's fucked up because a lot of them are become felons just from being a drug user, not even selling drugs. So it's like, so now you've made this person unable to get a job anywhere. They can't even work at a gas station. They can't work anywhere. So it's like if you're homeless and you're getting out of jail and now you have a criminal record, I don't even see how you can get out of that situation. The only way you can make money is to do something illegal at that point. So just like they need to just stop. I don't know. People don't need to have criminal records. They can't get job like yeah. they're not going to be able to get out of that situation. Yeah, my friend friend Wayne was a felon for drug dealing, and he was like, "I wasn't a, I wasn't a criminal. I was an addict." He's like, "That's why I was dealing drugs because I was feeding an a- my habit." And he's like, "I had to." And then it's jail doesn't even really help you with that. It's like people, a lot of people don't need to go to jail; they need to go to rehab. And I, I think it's just it's just weird to keep arresting someone because they're addicted to something. Yeah, it doesn't solve anything. How were you able to get out of that? Was it was it busking? To get out of like, like the job situation and that sort of cycle. I, was, I bust. I have I have three roommates, and I would pay my rent busking. But at that, I was living in Inglewood, and I think our rent was like twelve hundred, and we each we only paid three hundred each. So I had, I totally could make three hundred a month. I was. I was like paying my bills. I was busking for real. I had, I started ordering CDs. So I was selling CDs on the boardwalk and I would get there at like, I would get there at 8 AM because you have to get there early to get a good spot. So I would go there. Like I was going to work. Me and my, my other roommate, he used to sell his, he was a painter. So he made prints of his paintings. So we would both take the bus to Venice every morning and he would sell his paintings and I would sell my CDs. Thankfully you had that. So many people don't have that option. I mean, it's just yeah. really, it's. But uh, eventually I got a job. I got a job at the Crenshaw mall as a janitor. Cause they're, cause they, 
I was just honest. I was like, I have a criminal background, but I need a job. And the lady was like, I guess I can give you a chance. <laughs> that was like that turned out to be the most fucked up job ever because I was working overtime every night and they they made me clock out. They were doing all kinds of illegal shit because they knew they knew I needed it. So they were they were like, "Well, if you don't like it, you can quit." And I was like, "Well, I can't quit because I can't pay my rent." So, so and then I had to. I ended up because I got I was supposed to get off work at midnight. But they would keep me longer, and then I couldn't catch the bus because there was no more buses running. And I kept telling them, I was like, I can't stay overtime because I can't. Ca- I have to catch the last bus home. So I would have to pay for an Uber, which cost – it was like I was already – I was working for minimum wage, so it was just like a lot of money for me to buy an Uber to go home. It was just fucked up there. Like, so – I eventually went back to busking. I was I worked there for a while and I was like, man, this sucks. Like cuz I was working full time there and they kept doing like illegal shit to me. And cuz they knew I wasn't going to quit. And they knew I couldn't get a different job too. <laughs> oh man, it's such a fucking it sucks. Everything sucks. There. How about that for optimism? <laughs> Do, do I know your email says Sydney, but you go by your stage name is Sunny, right? Or do I go? Yeah. I just wanted to I make sure. By, I go by both Sydney or Sunny, really. Okay. I just wanted to. People say both names. I just want to make sure I get it right for the intro because I don't know. I don't want to insult you. I like you. Thanks. I like you too. You're going to be all right. thank you very much for listening to conversations with the wire please become a patreon subscriber if you like also subscribe to the show on your itunes or what have you not and tell your friends about the show that would mean a lot to me as well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or the mattdwire.com or conversations with the wire at the instagram And you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.